aspirations for life, consciousness, vigor, strength, use, and acceptance. Welcome to the Lion's Pen, the official podcast of the Heirs Project, Art and Revival Speaks. The information, opinions, and resources expressed on the Lion's Pen podcast and blog or the Heirs Project website are not a substitute for professional treatment. You should always contact your medical or mental health professional for advice and treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911. My name is Samantha Simons, AIRS founder. I'm a peer support specialist, yoga and meditation teacher, creatrix, and I'll be your primary host for this podcast. Welcome back to The Lion's Pen, the official podcast of The Heirs Project. I'm your host, Samantha Simons, and today I'm excited to be joined by Ellie Leonard of Alive with Purpose Craft. Ellie's background in mental health and expressive arts is both a clinician and a peer, brings a perspective that spans the spectrum of observation and experience. Welcome to the podcast, Ellie. Thank you for having me. Of course. I am so excited. Ellie, why is intersectional expressive arts important to you? It's important because to create is to be human. Um, whenever someone goes through recovery, you know, my, myself included, I've been through recovery programs myself, um, creativity has to be a part of that recovery component. Um, there's the, the eight areas of, of wellness um, that, that is uh, put out there among clinicians. Creativity taps into the emotional, the intellectual, the social, and even the spiritual areas of those eight areas of wellness. And when we remove creativity from any kind of care planning, um, it essentially means that individualism, ingenuity, it's, it's expendable, it's not important, which, which is, is not the case. We need that avenue of expression, of creative expression in, in care planning and in mental health recovery. I completely agree with that. I know it's been integral in my own recovery, and I didn't experience the degree of feeling well that I do now until I dove a little bit deeper into creativity. And the, the eight dimensions of wellness that Ellie mentioned is from SAMHSA. We'll link to that in the show notes because I personally think it's helpful for anyone, not just people in recovery. But in recovery, it's thought to be that the foundation is hope. How do you define hope for yourself and weave it into your life? Well, uh, you know, no one's life is easy. of that um through throughout my life i've had you know some some great periods of, of difficulty and it's only been within the last five years that the importance of holding on to hope has truly connected within me and and part of that stems from um going through a pretty nasty car accident about three years ago um and during that time, and even afterwards, up until the present day, I believe that for my own well-being, that when I'm faced with times of distress, that what I'm experiencing at that moment is not going to last forever. Uh, so life, obviously, is full of ups and downs, peaks and valleys, and I have to look forward to the future good times when I'm in uh, the not-so-good times. If I didn't have that, I would be obviously pretty hopeless. To find hope when you're feeling hopeless is a real challenge. Do you have any tips for folks on how to actually look for that hope and hold on to it when you're not in a great place? Well, we've, we've certainly, and I say the general we, within the last year and a half have certainly uh, experienced some great times of distress and, and, and hopelessness, as I can imagine. If, if 
not bleeding, if not for significant amounts of times, then obviously, I I don't doubt that any anyone who's listening to this is experiencing feelings of hopelessness with with the pandemic that we've been going through. Um, I when the pandemic was starting out, and things were looking pretty bleak. Uh, and we were in this period of unknown, what's going to happen, how many people are going to succumb to this, how many people are going to get sick. Um, I had to look forward to the day that life would return to a quote-unquote normal again. Um, And I knew that it wasn't going to be immediate. Um, I didn't put any kind of timetable upon that. Um, and so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when, when you look forward to the, the hope of the future goodness, don't put all these qualifiers and uh, limitations on when that's going to occur. Um, that just adds more pressure and um, to allow yourself to be surprised and to come into it naturally, you know, is is a good thing. What makes you feel inspired or connected to your best self? Oh, boy. Um, I have, uh, and and I'm I'm, I'm open with this uh, to to an extent, of course, but uh, I have depression and anxiety. I've had it since I was a child. If I'm speaking in that context, um, what makes me connected and inspired to my best self is one, when I'm taking my medications. Um, Two, there's uh, speaking out of the mental health context. Um, Just seeing the good in people and the, the beauty in the little things. Like every every day when I when I wake up in the morning, my dog jumps into bed with me, and we have a, a two minute cuddle session, and it's the best part of my day, right away in the morning, and just taking joy in in the little things. I I think when you can um, adjust your focus away from the negative and onto the positive, it uh, when we focus on the good and the beauty in the little things, it it enlivens me personally. I'm I'm not so down in the dumps. I'm I'm happier. I'm 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 more content. Um, I'm not as anxious. I wholeheartedly agree about the ability to shift perspective, which is another one of those skills that takes practice, but really makes an impact on our overall wellness, especially our our mental outlook. I think that's really empowering to be able to, on your own or with support, look from the negative to the positive. Even if it's not going to change the outcome, it changes how you approach the situation. Absolutely. And and promoting that that tool of of self-efficacy is so important in recovery. The belief that you have some control over your outcomes is is huge. Um, but there is truth to the notion of what I've observed that in my work in the mental health field, the persons who believe that they have little to no control over their lives, I, I, I find that they exhibit many more symptoms than people do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I've encountered many folks who, as you say, the symptoms might be a little more intense and prolonged if that agency either isn't there or feels like it's not there. And in so many instances, I have heard people say, well, if someone's just going to make the decisions for me, I might as well let them. It makes it easier. But does it make it better? It's, you know, that's questionable, I think. Um, 
to to answer that, uh, I would most definitely say no, not in the long run, because self-efficacy, while it can be a challenge to attain, I'm not I'm not denying that at all. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a skill that is absolutely necessary to to continue to work on to develop. Um, who I mean, if I could ask the question of everyone on this earth, if we could, if you wanted to have more control over your life, what would, would you want that? Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that there'd be anyone who would say no to that. Yeah. Especially people who have experienced having that control taken away without um, comfort or consent or permission. Yes. Oh, completely. And, and, you know, I, I should add a little caveat there that, you know, um, me being, uh, how should I say this, me being uh, a, a Caucasian uh, woman mm -hmm. in the Midwest, I'm not out of <laughs> the typical population here. So uh, my, my point being is that there are populations that have considerably more roadblocks than I have mm -hmm. due to just me being uh, who I am genetically speaking or socially speaking. Um, there are many people who uh, don't believe that self-efficacy is attainable because they've experienced tremendous hardship and difficulty that even I can't even imagine. Um, and, and I don't want to, uh, to denigrate anyone's, anyone's experience by, by saying that, that self-efficacy is, uh, is attainable. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, we don't invalidate anyone's experiences, past or present, by saying self-efficacy is attainable. It's just a matter of how do you, the person in recovery, personalize that to your situation? How do you, if you want to get from step A to B, how do you get from A.001? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. So it's, yeah, I'll just end it on that. And I, I respect that so very much. And that's where the, you know, the, the personal or individual aspect of recovery is so important. And in the field of recovery, it's still relatively new. We're battling so much stigma and generalization. But yes, exactly what you said. You know, how do you do that for yourself? And absolutely, some people are going to have many more barriers to achieving that or attaining that than others are. So it's definitely it definitely, to me, does not come across as a generalization. It is something that's important, but it's everyone's not on level ground to begin with when it comes to obtaining self-efficacy. Yes. And one thing I love about this podcast, too, is it gives myself and the people who are involved with the AIRS Project, supporters, listeners, community partners, it gives everyone the chance not just to learn a little bit more about the mental health field and creative expression and how those two marry, but also we get a peek into individuals like you. Every person that we talk to is a human being that's very different from the next. And so to get to know people as individuals helps us to continue shattering the stigma and shame that are based in generalizations and misconceptions and ignorance. Yes, when when we, we talk about recovery, we have to talk about it uh, in as a person to person uh, ability. Mm -hmm. We yeah. we have to talk about it as very personal terms because you can have twin siblings who were raised the same way in the same household with the same diagnoses even, but can display very different symptoms and have different cognitive distortions that, that need to be corrected and challenged. So there is no, um, 
it's not fair to generalize mental health to one set of symptoms, even though, you know, we have DSM, which, you know, gives us some clues into what a, a certain diagnosis would look like. A person's expression of their symptoms and, and their, their symptoms is very different from anyone else. Indeed it is. And there are those commonalities that people can understand, empathize, and bond over, but also still so very important to see people as the individual humans they are. And that, that's a big, that's very important to me, and it has been since long before I entered the mental health field as a client and as a peer supporter, is people feeling like they are seen and heard for who they are. It's just who are you as a person without all of the labels. I love it. I love the individual aspect of where the industry is headed. Oh, absolutely. There's a difference between being told um, about your diagnosis and, and being in that uh, recovery setting where you're being educated, which certainly has value, of course. But when you're working alongside someone, when you're doing, that is huge. It is. And people get to be humans that way, not just a group of people learning to manage their schizophrenia. Yes. Well, I want to know a little more about you as we go through. What are you curious or passionate about right now? What's going just fantastic for you and keeping you motivated? Oh gosh, I've I've got so many things going on right now. Uh, um, so right now I I have a most of the people who follow me on on Instagram know that I have a, a yarn dyeing business. So I I dye yarn, I sell it to yarn stores and to customers. If I could do that full time, dream come true. Um, I, I love it, just the creativity that comes out of pairing colors together and, and knowing that what you create will be a part of someone's garment or someone's weaving. It just brings me a lot of joy. Um, I also love all things related to music. When I was in high school, I was very involved in the music program, almost became a music teacher. And as a result, I can play, you know, I can play a few instruments. Um, and my iPod is never far away. Uh, right now I'm trying to learn how to play the banjo. <laughs> so, uh, I would play for you, but I wouldn't want to embarrass myself. Uh, <laughs> uh I can also play uh, piano, clarinet, saxophone. So, uh, yeah, uh, another hobby of mine is, is weaving. I'm starting to try oil painting. I, I was doing watercolor painting for a bit, but that was not going well. Um, but oil painting, I'm really enjoying as well. That's a fun set of creative endeavors. Absolutely. I love the banjo, and I have been told, I don't know, but I've been told that it's one of the hardest instruments to learn to play. There, there's two, without going into much detail, there's two styles of, of banjo playing that you can do. One is the traditional style that, you know, you hear in the traditional folk songs and involves some strumming. The other is the bluegrass style where you're picking fingers like crazy and you're going super fast. Uh, I, I prefer, and I, I will never learn the bluegrass. <laughs> my, hands, my hands don't move that quick. But uh, I, I'm learning the, the other style, which is called claw hammer, and I'm really enjoying that. Interesting. I never knew that there were two different styles. Uh, one of my uncles is actually a bluegrass recording artist, and he is the one who said the banjo is quite the undertaking. Uh, so perhaps it's because he plays bluegrass. <laughs> Most likely, yes. Most likely, because with bluegrass, I believe you're only playing with fingers on one hand you're only picking with three fingers so in order to hit all those notes you gotta you gotta be quite fast 
music in and of itself, though, is just such a powerhouse when it comes to that individuality that we talked about and the ability to relate to the way something sounds or the way something feels or even the words and the lyrics or even sometimes nothing at all. You just want to hear it. And that's music is something that every single person I've had on the podcast so far has in common. It's one of their top three, I guess, passions or creativity bolsters, whether it's someone playing music or choosing to listen to music or both. So I like that. What is one myth you have encountered related to mental wellness, creativity, or both that you would like to debunk today? Well, earlier we were talking about perspective switching and to a degree, yes, perspective switching is necessary to mental health recovery. However, what really drives me up a wall is when I hear people say that the only way to mental health recovery is a perspective switch. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've heard that. I don't know how many times you've heard that. But it often comes from people who don't know about the complexities of mental illness or how, and because of its complexity, how complex a care plan needs to be. So when someone says, prescribes one method, you know, all it takes is a perspective switch and you'll feel better. Like, what does that even mean? Uh Perspective switch on what? on what I'm thinking about this person and about this event and on how I'm feeling, you know, there is not one answer to mental health recovery. And so I I could go on and on for hours and hours about pet peeves, but that is, that is a big one that I've encountered. Um, The other, the other ones that, uh, that irritate me or when I'm feeling down and, and people get uncomfortable by that, they say, smile. Oh, I know. Or they say, yeah, or they say, well, just start thinking happy thoughts. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't work like that. If yeah, I, I could, can, I would have done it already. <laughs> right, right, right. There is a reason that there are so many pathways and within those pathways, such a multitude of different coping strategies because number one, one size doesn't fit all as we've already talked about at length. And number two, it is not as simple as just changing your mind or looking in a different direction. No, that's simple. If, 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 if every person that I serve in, in mental health facilities that I've worked in, uh, if, if I told them, you know, all it takes is a perspective switch, they would look at me as as, as though I needed to be there in the crisis yeah, facility. Right? <laughs> um, I, thankfully, there are people out there, yourself included, that make the conscious choice to be vocal advocates, not only for themselves, but for others to try and knock down some of the ignorance or some of the discomfort or misunderstanding because from increased understanding can grow increased compassion and support. Even if someone does not have the direct experience or the ability to empathize, every human has the capacity to be compassionate if they choose. Yes. You had actually mentioned or alluded to this a little bit earlier with your, uh, the serious car accident that you were in, is this your sort of a, one of your major life challenges that you've been able to overcome and learn and grow from? Oh, absolutely. Uh, to the extent that every, it had, the accident happened on January 3rd, 2018. And I, don't celebrate New Year's on its actual day anymore. I celebrate it on January 3rd because that was the day my life changed. Um, I was in a car wreck. I went down a 
down a hill and through some trees. Um, I was hospitalized for six weeks with a broken back and a broken right leg. I had three leg surgeries. And for the next six weeks, I had intense uh, physical therapy, and I had to learn how to physically take care of myself. Uh, one of the – I talked about taking joy in the little things. Well, one of the huge things that – happened during those six weeks is that in week four or five I was able to use a normal toilet again. When you go without a, a normal toilet for four to five weeks, it's uh, you're grateful for when it comes up to you. So um, that's just a little personal sidebar there. But um, out of that experience, lots of lessons for sure, but predominant one was that uh, my belief is that when someone has both hope and resiliency and they, they put that into practice in their daily lives, that the small things, they don't matter anymore. Uh, hope and resiliency has a way of adjusting your focus onto issues that really do deserve your attention. It's essentially a, a time waster buster, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. And there's an interesting contrast here because we just discussed how managing mental health conditions is not as simple as just changing your perspective. And here you are talking about adjusting your focus, but there are still two separate lanes because one includes chemicals and symptoms that are not always controllable and the other includes choice. Yes, I had, I had no choice that I was physically incapacitated for six weeks. Um, but I did have a choice to work hard, to correct that as much as I could. And I still, to this day, I have, I have pain in certain areas. I have difficulty with certain things. But um, it's, it's not a focus of mine focuses getting through my day and trying to create the life that I want despite that pain and difficulty. I know you must have worked mentally and physically and emotionally long and hard to get from where you were post-accident to where you are today. Yes, I'm still working on the, the mental piece of it. I uh, I have a wonderful therapist, um, but uh, I've I've been working on it quite a bit. Um, physically, I, I couldn't walk for about four months. Wow. So the day I was able to take my first step <laughs> was a very emotional day, um, and I couldn't I couldn't walk long distances about five until five months after. So. I was using a wheelchair up until late May or June that year. And now you're in the dye studio creating beautiful things that many of us out here are using for our own catharsis and joy. It's, it's, a, it's a strange world, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Absolutely. I've been very grateful for the community that's that, that I've been a part of on, on Instagram and um, when I, you know, I came down with the, what was it, the viral meningitis in the fall last year, I, uh, um, so many well-wishers and so many supporters, um, when I have, when I bounce an idea off of someone, I get honest responses, it's, and, and I just love being able to to see what people create with what I make and, and to be that support to them and say, you know what, that yarn wouldn't look so good if you didn't do what you did to it. So it's, 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 it's a reciprocal event, that, that community space. Well, touching on community, and this is, this is going to be two part. Um, so are there any resources that support you? or those that you support for healing creative expression, 
Uh, and then the second part to that is, would you be willing to talk to us a little bit about your care packages? Sure. So um, I've already talked about, you know, the, the Instagram resources that have supported me. Um, as far as what I would recommend others to support, uh, local community art classes, low cost. Get to be with like-minded people, like-minded creatives. Um, the community art classes are often very affordable, as opposed to what you would find online. Or, um, you know, I might get poo-pooed by this, but even at a yarn store. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, supporting the the local community art is is really important to me and I don't just say that because my mom was a director of a, a countywide community art <laughs> program <laughs> no as far as my care packages go uh, I don't believe I've told the story of how it originated um, the idea came from um, one day I received a, a direct message from someone who was following me on Instagram and she said you know I'm going through some physical challenges I, I can't remember which diagnosis she shared that she had with me but she said you know knitting can be very difficult for me but when I do um, I love using your yarn and I wish I could buy more of it and but because of my, my disability, uh, I'm not able to work and I, my income is not to where I would like it to be. And for one, that, that really touched and honored me. And then it got me to thinking, you know what, hand-dyed yarn can be expensive. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't denounce anyone for going to shop at Joann's or Michael's and getting the the $6.99 ball of yarn, I don't denounce that at all, go for it. Um, Hand-dyed yarn can be a, a real treat for people, um, and but it can be expensive, you know, as opposed to the $6 ball of yarn you get at Michael's or Joann's, you, you could be paying 30 bucks. So when I got that message, uh, I was thinking about it the, the next couple days, and I thought, you know what, I I, I looked through my, my business finances, and I'm like, I could do, you know, a few care packages. Um, so, in reflecting on her message, I thought, gosh, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in the place where I can provide hand-dyed yarn to people who can't afford it and um, and this could also be an opportunity for people who go, go through mental health challenges because this woman did say because of her disability she experiences some mental health challenges um, as well um, if this could be a, a means for spreading recovery and hope for recovery why not do it so what I did was a, I committed the first year to saying 10 packages. I'll send out 10 packages of hand-dyed yarn um, and other little goodies. Minnesota, I won't identify her because she wants to be anonymous. But she's from Minnesota. She said, what do you need in order to give uh, everyone who applied a package? And she gave me that financial gift. Everyone that year got a package. Yes. Um, and to be able to, to put these packages together and send them out to 21 people who absolutely deserve them was such a blessing for me. And I know it was a blessing for them because I got so many messages back saying, thank you. Um, so that was in 2020 was the first year I did that in 2021. This year is the second year I did it. 
sent out 13 packages this year. Um, and, and I'm committing going forward to uh, doing this every May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. uh, asking people to send a bit of their story, um, words of encouragement to others, and share how they use the fiber cope, and it's all anonymous, on anonymously shared, so no one's privacy is being violated. And uh, it's just a win-win for everyone involved. It's such an impactful program. And to be able, for you to be able to do that for so many people, you've shared, I, I definitely remember in 2020 especially, you sharing some uh, social media footage of some of the recipients opening their packages. And it's, it is my favorite type of unboxing video to watch because there's just this absolute depth of appreciation for something that seems so small, but really is so monumental. And, you know, for those folks who don't do fiber arts, folks who don't weave or crochet or knit, um, hand-eyed yarn is expensive. And I will definitely say that dyers like yourself deserve every penny that you charge for that yarn because people have no idea the cost that goes into making that final product. But at the same time, how beautiful is it that people who want to create and find it therapeutic and healing are able to do so with the beauty of something that's so unique and individual from an indie dyer. And just like you, I'm not knocking people who go to a craft store by any means, but it's a different level of uniqueness and experience when you're supporting another small business person, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, I, I feel gratitude with, with every order that I receive um, to know that, that people could have spent their money at Joann's or Michael's and they instead spent it on my yarn. Wow, what the heck. Right? <laughs> it blows me away every time I get that email saying, you have an order. Yes. Thank you. I think this one is not going to come as a surprise to anyone if they've been listening. But what is a tip that you have for making the world a better place? I just have two, two words. Kindness. Empathy. All the time. Every day, no matter who you encounter, kindness and empathy. That's all I got. Those are pretty powerful words. I think they stand for themselves. One area of education and rehabilitation, and this isn't just mental health specific, it's across the board. One area that often experiences thin to no budgets or budget cuts is the arts. What would you say to convince people, what is your elevator pitch to prove that the arts are a priority? The arts are a priority, not just from a healing perspective, because it allows for self-expression in a way that's different than, you know, sitting in front of a therapist and, and purging your feelings, which has its own value, of course, I'm not denigrating that, but there's something different about my broken heart <laughs> as I did in therapy as I did in therapy uh, 10 years ago uh, we had a we had an art group where people said where the instructor said draw what your heart feels like and I drew a heart broken in two mm -hmm. and um, able to express that visually, um, to express that creatively. Um, now speaking on a broader perspective, the arts are a priority because the, the, when we look back at, at various cultures throughout history, 
many times how we identify them is through the art that they've left behind. Culture is fueled by arts and creativity. The living history of art is something that I find so fascinating and that the way that art has been a nonverbal, sometimes verbal language for peoples of, you know, ever since people walked on the earth is something that's so intriguing, I think. Yes, how can you not go into an art museum and, and be not be moved? Oh, I know. And as the mother of a musician who's getting ready to go to college in the fall for music, having seen the impact that music made and that child still be able to prioritize academics but really flourish in the arts is just one more piece of evidence for me that academics need to be important and prioritized, but they're not the only thing. 100% agree. I mean, even on just a very simplistic level, because so many rehabilitation or recovery programs are group type programs, on the smallest of levels, just the ability to bow your head down and focus on something that's not another human being in and of itself creates a different degree of comfort. Yes. We didn't even touch on, on the mindfulness component of it or, or, you know, on your website it says flow. It talks about flow, being enveloped in something that is not, that doesn't remind you of, of your illness is so important. It is, and it, it gives each person the option, if they choose, to process some of those bits and pieces through the art, but it also does not have to relate to it at all. It's complete choice. And some of the most beautiful art comes out of um, out of someone that's in that space that's that feels safe enough or brave enough to create when maybe they don't want to say it in words. Or maybe they, they don't have the ability to adequately say it in words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's currently a, a virtual art showing happening with the Staunton Art Center, which is in Staunton, Virginia. And it is made up of pieces submitted by people in recovery. But the entire exhibit is people in recovery. And there are some really beautiful and powerful pieces. Some of them are very indicative of processing their mental health or substance use experience. And some of them are not at all, but they're, they're all equally showcasing the talents, abilities, and joys of these artists. I love it. I think it's great. That's wonderful. This one is a fun one. This is one of my favorite questions. You're headed off on a road trip. What three songs are at the top of your playlist? Okay, this song is kind of a downer because of the lyrics, and it's in a minor key, but uh, Led Zeppelin, Since I've Been Loving You, that guitar solo in the middle of it just kills me every time I hear it. I that I love that song so much. Uh, I have one song in particular I've been listening to a lot, lot lately. It's called "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" by the Backstreet Boys. Uh, if I could pick every Backstreet Boys song uh, on on a road trip, I I would do it. I am an unapologetic Backstreet Boys fan. I'm a child of the 90s. I even met a couple of the Backstreet Boys. So uh, that is one of my songs. And then my absolute favorite song is September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's just such a happy song. I like the diversity. This uh, next, well, final question before we just hear a little bit more about you in general. This is our signature question for the podcast. If you're crafting a recipe for personal revival, what are some in essential ingredients that must be there? Well, in, in no particular order, um, I would say hope is a huge component of that. Do you need to have a committed support network? Doesn't matter the size, you need to have someone in your corner who can, who can be there for you when you need it. 
And uh, three, you need, you need to have uh, some kind of avenue for creativity and expression. Mm -hmm. I can relate to all of those. Yeah, it's... Wh when I was in uh, my, my bachelor's level uh, coursework for psychology, one of the courses I took was community psychology. And one of the lessons I learned from that course was that there's there's such a need for us to look at the preemptive needs for someone as opposed to responding to when a need arises. Because when you respond to when a need arises, they're already in trouble, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So um, when you can look at something preemptively and preventatively and say, you know what? I, I think we need some fine-tuning here and there, and maybe this program can help you with that so that things don't get bad, because um, that that could be hugely beneficial, because the responsive nature of our system is, uh-oh, uh someone's in trouble. Um, there's often, there's sometimes a legal repercussion. Uh, and when a legal repercussion arises, sometimes housing uh, becomes difficult. Sometimes someone may lose a housing. So there, there's so many bad things that can erupt from something going wrong and people not being in the know about programs that can help them before things get bad. Agreed. That that's something that you know you, you just this is something you're pretty passionate about, and I am as well. The importance of preventative services and support to hopefully mitigate the need for crisis services as often, as frequently as they're happening now, because we, we know that in many, many areas, there are not beds in crisis care, or people are being put into programs like APH, adult partial hospitalization, when really they need to be in crisis care, but there's nowhere for them to go. Yes. Well, before we close, this is this has been wonderful. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like everyone to know about you? You know, I had an answer. I, I know you sent me some some uh, information before this interview about what to expect and what could possibly be asked. I think everything I wanted everyone to know, <laughs> you already said. So, um, um, yeah, no, I just appreciate being, being part of this for sure. And I appreciate how candid and open you've been. Uh, it's people like you who help remind so many others that even if they're not brave enough to speak up yet, there's someone speaking up for them and one day they'll be in that space where the experiences and the resources and their own voice contribute to the greater good for those of us living with chronic serious mental health conditions who are recovering from substance use and other addictions and uh, trying to just be the best and most creative versions of ourselves that we can be. Where in the world, virtually, can we find you? Uh, my website is alivewithpurpose.org. Um, that will point you to my uh, hand-dyed yarn. I, and I should say, you know, I've had people say, well, what the heck does Alive With Purpose have to do with yarn? <laughs> and, I say, and I say, I don't know. I just like the name. <laughs> when I was coming up with uh, the name for the business, I wanted, I knew immediately that um, when I started the business that I would be donating a portion of proceeds to mental health causes. I just knew it right away. And I wanted something that, I wanted a name for the business that had meaning. Um, and I just love the fact that every person who buys a yarn, they have a little tag that says alive with purpose, staring in their face. So. Um, 
I, I hope that that message is relayed to every customer that they are indeed alive with purpose. And um, so my website is alivewithpurpose.org and I'm under I'm under the handle Alive with Purpose Craft at Instagram. We will also link to all of this information in the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Well, Ellie, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I am so grateful that we'll get to signal boost not only your business, but some really powerful, important feelings about mental health and creativity in general. And maybe down the road, we'll see if we can reconnect on some of these more hot button topics. Absolutely. Count me in. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Find out more by visiting our website at theairsproject.org. That's T-H-E-A-I-R-S-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot O-R-G. Again, this is Samantha Simons, founder of the Airs Project. Thank you for joining me today on the Lion's Pen, where we highlight the joy and impact of creative expression that helps shape and support us on our own individual journeys through the peer's lens of lived experience. Music for this podcast was created by Jared Simons Music, jsimonsmusic.com.